I'm reading a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Thanks, Terry. Good morning. Hopefully you're all rested up. What is true spirituality? What does authentic spirituality look like? Last Sunday in the Idaho Statesman, there was a feature article on Sacred Mountain Monastery in Boise County. It described how the woman who leads it, Alice Elizabeth, she fasted, she prayed, she sang in the desert. What happens to a person in that state is they begin to have insights, she said. Insights into who it is that I really want to be. What's my true purpose? How do I want to show up in the world? What is great spirit asking me to do? She went again into the desert, but this time it was a woman named Sheshoshua Dawei who returned in her place. Her new name reflecting her new role in the world. As she said, in a way you die to your old life and all the things from it and become that new person so that you are reborn in a new way. And she also said, all spirit truth is truth and no one has a monopoly on it. There are many paths, and they all lead to the same place. And that place is to live a life of love, to live a life of peace, to live a life of creating joy, to live a life of shared, shareful abundance, to live a life of compassion and kindness. What is true spirituality? Is it some kind of New Age thinking, finding God in everything like the world would tell us? I want to give another example of a different picture of spirituality, something many of you will remember, 1994, something that was called the Toronto Blessing. 
Some brothers and sisters in Christ were involved there. It received a lot of press. Let me describe it to you. This blessing has become known for ecstatic worship, including what is known as falling or resting in the spirit, laughter, shaking, and crying. Holy laughter was a hallmark manifestation. And there were also instances of participants roaring like lions or barking like dogs. Another manifestation of the Spirit encountered at these meetings was a gesture commonly called crunching, consisting of a vomit-like heaving to cleanse and release negative experiences. Leaders and participants claim that these are physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. Is that what true spirituality is? Is it some kind of ecstatic experience where you lose yourself in the emotions of the moment. What does real spirituality, authentic spirituality, look like? Here's a current definition of spirituality. First of all, it says it lacks a definitive definition. Well, that makes sense. Social scientists have defined spirituality as the search for the sacred, where sacred is broadly defined as that which is set apart from the ordinary. It's something worthy of veneration. But the term spirituality has changed through the ages. In modern times, it's often separated from religion. Connotes a blend of humanistic psychology with mystical and esoteric traditions and Eastern religions aimed at personal well-being and personal fulfillment. Notice the goal, personal well-being, personal fulfillment. The notion of spiritual experience plays an important role in modern spirituality. Did you get all that? You'll be tested on it later. Yeah, it lacks definition, all right. (laughs) What is authentic spirituality, really? That's what the world is obviously confused about. Well, a biblical definition, a simple one, would be how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. The things of the Spirit, in other words. Now, Paul in our section today is writing to the church in Corinth because they were confused about authentic spirituality. They didn't get it. They didn't understand how the Spirit was supposed to work. As we'll see over the next three chapters, they were into ecstatic experiences, emotional experiences judging one another over who's more spiritual by who spoke in tongues the most and thinking everyone should do that. That's the mark of spirituality. And they had all kinds of aspects like that that were confused. They were true believers seeking the Lord. That's a wonderful thing. But they were confused about what the Spirit was all about and and what the true marks of authentic spirituality are. So Paul spends these next three chapters correcting their thinking on the issue. And as he does so, he helps us to understand what authentic spirituality should look like today as well because we're hearing so many different voices about what it looks like. So today we're looking at the foundational marks of authentic spirituality. It's important for us because we all have the Spirit in us. We need to know what He's about. We need to learn to walk in the Spirit and not... In the flesh. So pray with me and we'll look at this passage together.
Thank you, Lord, for the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. We want to understand how He works in our lives and, and, and what the marks of His moving in us and through us should be. Thank you for this passage, Lord. May, may Your Spirit be speaking through me to each person here and may Your Spirit be working in each person here speaking to their minds and their hearts that the Word might take root. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first mark of authentic spirituality in verses 1 through 3 is this. Authentic spirituality always exalts Jesus as Lord. Authentic spirituality always exalts Jesus as Lord. He begins this way, concerning spiritual things. <laughs> he doesn't really define it. He throws out a word, spiritual somethings. It's an adjective and he doesn't say what. So my translation says concerning spiritual gifts because he talks about spiritual gifts in the chapters to come to some degree, but he talks about other things. Uh, the word really has to do with spiritual things, spiritualities, spirituality in general. Now concerning this, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware. Why does he say that? Because they're ignorant. <laughs> they misunderstand what's real spirituality, spirituality is about. So he says, I don't want you any longer to be unaware. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Unbelievers, he's talking about. Remember, he says, now remember the church in Corinth hadn't been very, there very long, maybe four or five years. And he's writing to them and he's trying to encourage them. And so they remember their unbelieving days. And he says, remember that you were led during those days to idolatry. However you were led. I, I like that phrase, however you were led, because he's saying essentially you can be led in a lot of different ways, but they all lead to the same place, which is idolatry. You may be led by feelings, by trying to find personal fulfillment, you may be led by the latest trend in culture. You may be led by demons. You may be led by the flesh. You may be led by the lies of the world. You may be led by well-meaning friends. But however you're led, he said, remember as an unbeliever you were led into idolatry. Rather than a focus on Jesus as Lord, you saw him in a wrong way. They lead to not the true God, but to false worship. What I just read from that spiritual person, Sheshua, <laughs> can't say it very well, <laughs> but she said, there are many paths and all paths lead to the same place. That's true. They all lead to idolatry. And that's what Paul's point is. Any search for spirituality leads, leads to idolatry unless it leads to Jesus as Lord. So I like the way he puts it. He says, therefore, you guys have been ignorant. Verse 3, I make known to you what you need to know. 
No one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What they need to know is that the Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus as Lord. And now we see he makes this weird comment. You know, no one can say Jesus is accursed by the Spirit of God. Now, uh, what does that mean? Who would say that? Well, a lot of people were saying it in the Corinthians culture. The Jews were saying it because they were saying, well, Jesus can't be God because he was accursed. He was killed on a cross, and that's a place of cursing. Jesus is accursed. The Roman government would say that because they would say Caesar is Lord, and therefore Jesus is not. He is accursed. Pagan religions would say that Jesus is accursed because they would say all their people were and their idols were lords. But the point he's making, Paul is making, is that the Spirit, though, will always exalt Jesus as Lord. The commentator Gordon Fee says this, Paul's insistence that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit has troubled later readers since it would seem possible for anyone to say these words at will. Of course, Jesus, Paul is saying much more than that, and he goes on to say that. That misses the radical nature of this confession of the earliest Christians. The use of Lord in such a context meant absolute allegiance to Jesus as one's deity and set believers apart from both Jews for, for whom such a confession was blasphemy and from pagans especially those in the cults whose deities were called lords. Thus, this became the earliest Christian confession, tied in particular to Jesus' having been raised from the dead and therefore having become the exalted one. He concludes this way, The ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Whatever takes away from that, even if they be a legitimate expressions of the Spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spiritual activity as an end in itself. And that's always a danger. We want the experience. But he says, this is foundational. This is most important. You want to know if the Spirit's working? Well, then look for this first. Is Jesus being exalted as Lord? Is he being lifted up? Are people learning to submit to him as Lord and proclaim him as Lord? Once a year in the Roman Empire, if you were a Roman citizen, you had to go into a pagan temple and take incense and burn it, and then you had to proclaim, Caesar is Lord. That was part of Roman citizenship. And so for a Christian, we couldn't do that in those days. And so we had to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And so... It was costly. So to say Jesus is Lord is a personal statement, a political statement, a social statement. It affects all of life. So Paul begins there. He says, you want to know a mark of the Spirit, foundational one. You want to know if the Spirit's really working, a mark of authentic spirituality? Does it exalt Jesus as Lord? Interesting what Jesus says himself in John chapter 16, verse 13 and following, where he says this, 
When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll disclose to you what is to come. And he says this in verse 14, He, the Spirit, will glorify me, for he'll take of mine and will disclose it to you. Notice what he says. That's what the Spirit does. He glorifies Jesus. He makes him visible to others. He proclaims him as Lord. So that's a really important mark of authentic spirituality. And he begins there. Authentic spirituality always exalts Jesus as Lord. Secondly, verse 4 through 6, authentic spirituality always depends on God's activity. Not ours, but on God's activity. Now again, what was going on in Corinth is that there was an emphasis on certain gifts. And the truly spiritual people were those who spoke in tongues. And the more you spoke in tongues, the more spiritual you were. And so there was this picture that you need to have these experiences, and especially tongues. And so what it did and what it does is it creates this pressure that I need to perform. I need to do this. Focus becomes on me, not so much what God is doing. I have a friend who was involved as a new believer. He'd come to Christ and he really wanted to follow Jesus. And he was involved in a church where they emphasized tongues as the one proof of the Spirit's work. Like Corinth, very similar. And they said, you really need to speak in tongues. And he said, I prayed and prayed and prayed and I, n I never got the gift. I couldn't do it. And they finally said, well, you're not trying hard enough. You need to just start babbling and eventually you'll learn how to do it. So he did it. He tried that. He faked it. Eventually he left that church, but he left feeling guilty and ashamed like a failure because he just couldn't do it. You see what that kind of pressure does. It, it makes it all about me and what I'm doing and my lack of faith or ability to believe or trust or whatever. It's it's not about what God's doing, but what Paul is emphasizing is it's not about you. It's about God. Notice verse 4 through 6. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, energizings, workings, but the same God who works all things in all persons. What he's saying is that the gifts are all about God. The Trinity, the Spirit, the Lord Jesus, God the Father. And it's all about what He is accomplishing in us. I, I love this passage because it's such, uh, so revealing about how gifts work. He says the Spirit, when we come to Christ, gives each believer at least one spiritual gift. But there are varieties of gifts, he says. There's a whole bunch. Then he says, the Lord, Jesus, gives each person the service, the ministry, the opportunity to use their gifts. He opens the doors. And then it says, God the Father is the one who provides the power to have impact, which produces the results. So it's all about God, right? <laughs> you see, our job is simply to be faithful to follow Him and to seek 
to portray our gift, to trust God, but he's the one who gives us the gift. He's the one who opens the opportunities and he's the one who empowers it to have the impact. It's all about God and not about us and it's really up to him. He may open a door for you to use you to use your gift in the church or he may open a door in your neighborhood or in the community or in your growth group or all kinds of places. But that's up to him. And then he produces the results, God the Father. Think about prophets in the Old Testament like Jeremiah, one of my heroes. He was a prophet gifted by God to confront the people about their sin, and he did. But over 40 years of preaching, virtually no response. But you take someone like Jonah, also a prophet, called by God and gifted by God, and he ran the other way. He didn't want to serve God. He didn't want to preach to the Ninevites. He took off because he didn't like what God was asking him to do, but God drug him back <laughs> against his will, angry. He preached to the Ninevites, and hundreds of thousands repented before God. What a difference in results. How's that happen? Well, it's God's choice. It's up to God. See, that's what makes it so freeing. It really takes the pressure off. I, I'm called to be faithful at studying the Word of God and praying and obeying God. But the gift I've been given, the opportunities to use it, and the results, the empowering, and how God uses that to impact others, it's all His choice. So I just need to stay close to him and follow him. And it's the same for every one of us in this room. Your job is to stay close to the Lord and follow him and realize he's at work in your gift in an amazing way. Think about that for a moment. It doesn't matter what your gift is. It might be a gift of service, a gift of helps. Maybe you like helping behind the scenes. Maybe a gift of giving. Maybe a gift of leadership. Uh, there's all kinds of gifts, and we'll be talking about more of them over the coming weeks. But God, in all that He is, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, enables you, is involved in what you are doing when you use your gift in obedience to Him. Isn't that amazing? No matter what your gift is, it's all part of His plan. And notice the early Trinitarian perspective here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This may be the earliest writing that occurred that we have that has that Trinitarian perspective. And the diversity of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, reflects the diversity in the body of Christ, the diversity of gifts, the diversity of ministries, and the diversity of workings. That's God's plan. So God's involved and working through our gifts. So it's all about Him. It's not about us. Now, what are spiritual gifts? Again, we'll be talking more in coming weeks about them, but let me just say a couple words about that. What are spiritual gifts? They are more than natural talents. They are more than personality traits. They may be in line with those, but they may not be. They are supernatural, special abilities given to believers to love others in a unique way. But again, they may not be in line with your natural abilities. Believe me, 
as a young man, I would have never thought I would be a public speaker. I was terrified to be in front of people. And I know of many others that way. So again, your spiritual gift may be in line with your natural abilities, but it may not. But they need to be developed over time. It doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm great at doing this particular thing. It means you have to learn over time to depend on the Spirit in you. And the more you learn to depend on the Spirit, the more He displays Himself through your spiritual gift. So again, we'll be talking more about gifts in coming weeks. But just highlight here, notice that the second mark of authentic spirituality is it's God working through you. It's not what you do. It's what He accomplishes in you and through you. The third mark that Paul gives in this passage of authentic spirituality is that it is other-centered. In other words, it's marked by love for others. Verse 7. Let me read that again. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He says to every believer, everyone who receives Jesus, you get a manifestation of the Spirit. Now that's confusing. We, we, we think of that term, what manifests the Spirit. It's a revelation. It's, a, it's how the Spirit works. But notice, it's not about me. It's about the common good. It's all there to build up the whole body of believers. False spirituality is about me. It's about my own personal development, as we read in that definition that's common today. But true spirituality is not about me developing myself, feeling good, having some kind of experience. It's about me learning to love others. You see, that's one of the greatest marks of God at work in you, how much you're able to give your life away for the sake of others. That's what the Spirit of God always does, always moves us to put others first, to seek to put our abilities at work for the sake of others. And in these three chapters we'll be looking at, 12, 13, 14, what's the middle chapter, the central chapter? What's it all about? Love, 1 Corinthians 13, the passage on love. That's the center of this whole section. So a truly spiritual person, authentically spiritual, will focus on loving others first and foremost. It's a clear mark of the Spirit's working. I was one time in San Francisco. We were doing outreach into the city, sharing Christ, but we began in a large meeting and it was a powerful worship experience. It was a charismatic type meeting and I, I just noticed the man next to me, I hadn't met him, and he was really into the worship in a very intense and powerful way. That's great. Afterwards, when we were all done, I just wanted to get to know him a little bit. We were kind of heading out into the city and I said, hey, this is who I am, what's your name? Tell me a little bit about yourself. And he all of a sudden just immediately started talking about Oh, I've got a terrible marriage. I can't stand my wife. And I'm just thinking I'm probably going to divorce her. She's so hard to get along with. And he kind of went on and on about that. And I was just kind of dumbfounded by the disconnect. 
that this was this worship experience and yet there was no love in his heart towards his wife. You see, a mark of the Spirit, the true Spirit working in someone is love. They will love. They will be moved to love. That's a clear mark of the Spirit's working. The fourth mark that he gives in this passage is that the Spirit authentically If it's the authentic spirit, it delights in diversity. Again, remember in Corinth, they were saying, here's how spirituality looks and everybody should fit in this little box. That's what's spiritual. Well, as he goes on in verses 8 through 10, he gives this list of spiritual gifts and he says, hey, we're all given a diversity of gifts and that's God's plan. The spirit delights in diversity. Now today we use that word and of course the world out there, (laughs) that's a buzzword, right? Diversity. Celebrate diversity. But here's what the world means when they say that. To celebrate diversity means to accept every weird and sinful lifestyle, (laughs) all religions, all beliefs, everything should be accepted except biblical Christianity, of course. Diversity, celebrating diversity means you should be okay with sin that destroys other people's lives. Homosexuality, gay marriage, sexual perversions, lies, idolatry, greed, etc. And again, in Corinth, they were saying, well, here's true spirituality. Here's what it looks like is one gift, the gift of tongues. Everybody should do that if they're really spiritual. And Paul says, no, no. That's wrong. We want diversity, but a healthy diversity. The Spirit's diversity means we're all different, but we all fit together. We're all given different gifts, and when they're lived together, through our unique personalities that God has given us, then it creates this incredibly beautiful harmony. Authentic spirituality delights in the differences between us. Think of an orchestra. You sit down, you're ready to hear some glorious music, right? And out comes a whole stage full of people playing the exact same instrument and they all play the exact same note over and over and over again. That wouldn't be a very pleasant orchestra experience, would it? (laughs) No, you see, what makes it beautiful is all the different instruments playing their own part, but as they play their own part, according to how the director directs them, it creates this incredible beauty of harmony. That's the body of Christ. That's God's design. It's a a beautiful thing and we're all different and yet God fits us together in a way that creates a beautiful harmony that glorifies Him. He goes on in these verses 8 through 10 to give nine examples of spiritual gifts. It's not meant to be comprehensive. He doesn't list every gift. In fact, I don't think the different places spiritual gifts are listed in the Scripture are probably comprehensive. I think there's other gifts even outside of those, but they're just meant to be representative. Let me run through these nine quickly. First is the word of wisdom. 
What is that? It's, it's an ability, a supernatural ability, when someone has this gift, to see truth from God's perspective and apply it to specific situations. I really appreciate this gift. When, when someone's able to take scriptures and they speak into a specific situation in my life or in someone else's life and you think, wow, what insight, what's wisdom? That's the spiritual gift of wisdom. There's the word of knowledge. This is an ability to take the scriptures and have a deep understanding of biblical truth. Some people are just see a depth that the rest of us don't see. I, I think our former senior pastor, Chris Rudell, had this gift. I was amazed at how he understood biblical truth and con- consolidated it together and understand it. Third is the gift of faith that he mentions. Faith is a supernatural ability to see God's hand at work where it isn't obvious and to trust God when it's hard for the rest of us to trust God in the most difficult situations. I've been so encouraged by people who have this gift because it encourages me to trust God more when when life just seems out of control. We need people with this gift. Fourth is the gift of healings. Now, healings just isn't physical. It's helping someone who is sick, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, and help them move towards wholeness. Sometimes people who have counseling-type gifts have this gift of healings. And notice it's plural, healings. This suggests it's an occasional gift. It isn't like someone with this gift can just walk around and I can heal everybody around me. No, it means God empowers them for only certain situations. It's an occasional gift. It's not a constant gift, but it's a wonderful healing gift. Next is the gift of miracles. This is an ability to call on the power of God in a unique and supernatural way. It's one that is needed, again, to bring God's power at work into certain situations so that he will accomplish the purposes he wants. There's the gift of prophecy that's next. Now, we think of prophecy as an ability to foretell the future. You know, that was a very small part of what the prophets did in the Old Testament. They mostly spoke forth the mind and the counsel of God to build up the people of God. That's what a prophet does. He's able to speak forth the mind and the counsel of God in specific situations in powerful ways. Usually it's not foretelling the future, it's forthtelling, telling God's mind. I think people like John Stott, who's now passed away, but he was a prophet, a modern prophet. Chuck Colson probably is. Maybe people like Shane Claiborne. People who have great insight into what's going on in our culture and can speak God's truth into it in a powerful way is the gift of prophecy. Next is the gift of distinguishing of spirits or what I would call discernment. It's a spiritual ability to distinguish what is of God and what isn't. I really appreciate this because they have insight into what's going on sometimes that, that I don't. There's a danger with the gift of discernment. I, I've known several people with this gift. 
It can be very helpful, but when you, when you see and discern all the time, it's easy to be very critical. <laughs> so if you have this gift, I encourage you, you need to submit it to love to build up the body rather than be critical. And then finally, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Notice he puts these last to remind the Corinthians these are not most important. <laughs> they are gifts. The Spirit does manifest himself through this. Their supernatural ability to speak in a language you don't know, to speak truths of God, and for someone to interpret it even though they don't know that language either. He just lists these gifts, I think, to say they're all legitimate but they're diverse. That's his point. And the Spirit loves diversity. So the manifestation of the Spirit is not going to look the same in each of our lives. So he says, don't misunderstand. We'll explore specific gifts more the coming weeks. There are many more listed in Scripture. But overall, the Spirit delights in diversity. I would like to show a video right now that I think epitomizes this whole diversity of the body of Christ. It's our Valentine's dinner the men's ministry did for the widows a few weeks back. It was a wonderful evening, but one of the things I loved about it is I didn't do anything except act as a waiter. Many men were involved in loving the widows that night. Some planned some organized, some worked behind the scenes, some cooked, some served, some cleaned up, and on and on and on. We had 32 men serving 32 women. <laughs> it was a beautiful picture of the diversity of the body of Christ all coming together in beautiful harmony for the common good, to love some widows in our body. You want to know what authentic spirituality looks like? <laughs> it's diverse. The Spirit loves diversity. Look at how diverse we all are. <laughs> but it also always exalts Jesus as Lord. It always points to Him. And it always depends on God's working. It's not about us and what we're accomplishing. It's about what He's accomplishing. That is what the Spirit always emphasizes. And the Spirit always reaches out to love others. These are the marks of authentic spirituality. So don't be fooled by what the world is saying around you or, or whatever. Look to the Scriptures and look for these marks in your own life and in the lives of of others. You see, these are the foundational marks of authentic, true spirituality. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, what an amazing thing it is that you've given us your Spirit and that that Spirit in us is at work. Help us to understand what the Spirit is about so that we can cooperate with you and not look for other experiences that we think are spiritual, but help us exalt you as Lord and depend on you to do accomplish the work and really, truly love others in all our diversity. 
We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.